Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I've sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that we may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice. These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers of Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains grace be with you. May we be blessed by the reading of God's word this morning. You may be seated. Not too bad, Jer, with the names. Good morning. It is good to be with you this morning. If you're joining us as a guest, we're so glad that you're here with us, and we uh, hope and pray that this would feel like home to you as it has so many of us. And so uh, just a few announcements this morning, then we'll jump in to finish this letter to uh, the Colossians, the book of Colossians written by Paul. Two announcements. Uh, one is on Wednesday nights we have a prayer service, uh, a Bible study. Please join us for that. That's at six o'clock. But uh, starting at six, we also provide a meal. We just need to know how much food to provide. So in uh, the back or in your Sunday school class, there's a paper that goes around. Please fill that out. Let us know how many that's going to, from your family, it's going to join you so that we have enough food. So that's, again, uh, 6 o'clock on Wednesday evenings, uh, a meal before our prayer service. As you know, we've been praying over the last few months for a youth pastor. I want to give you an update in what we talked about Wednesday, what the deacons talked about, to kind of let you know where we're headed with that, uh, so you have that uh, as you pray with us and for us. Uh, starting in October, we'll pray now to the 1st of October. In October, we'll develop and uh, form a search committee to begin to look for a youth pastor. So in October, we'll pray now to October uh, 1st. When October 1st comes, if God has not answered the ter- first two prayers, the first two prayers have been that God, that there's someone already here in our congregation that has a passion and a heart for youth and that they will finally volunteer uh, and uh, be obedient to God's call in their life. If that's not true, uh, then we've been praying that God would bring someone to us um, that would have a passion and a heart for a youth. And the third is this. This is where we'll be here. Uh, If neither of those are answered, 
we will begin to look for someone. So starting in October, we'll form a search committee uh, that will have a job description from October to the first of the year. We'll put that job description uh, onto several um, pastor search places. There's a number of them with here locally, with uh, the SBC and a few others. We'll put that job description and then begin to take resumes to the first of the year. After the first of the year, we'll gather some. And then that search committee will look through those resumes and then begin to find who that person may be. And then we'll present that person uh, sometime at the first of the year uh, to the church. So that's kind of our process. We'll continue to keep everyone up to speed, how that all is coming along. You'll hear more uh, about that uh, if God doesn't answer the first two before October. If you have any questions about that, come see me. Come see one of the deacons. We'd love to give you more information. So at this time, I'd like to pause. We've been pausing and praying for a youth pastor that God would uh, raise someone up, bring someone to us, or give us the wisdom to go find someone, and then we'll jump into this morning's sermon. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. I'll pause for us as you pray, and then I'll close us in a word of prayer this morning. God, in the stillness of this moment, I'm reminded of what the psalmist said. Be still and know that I'm God. And I pray in this stillness that you would reveal yourself to us. To our minds, to our hearts, to our ears, that we would know you. That we would see your holiness. And in seeing your holiness, we would do like the men of old when we fall down before you and just worship you. Your holiness will always lead to our worship. I pray that would be true for us this morning in this moment. And God, we do come before you and we ask, have we, have, have we been asking that you would raise up a youth pastor? If there is someone here in this congregation, in this body already that has a desire for students, has a desire for you and has a desire to make you known to students, I pray that they would respond in obedience uh, to that call on their life. However, God, if that is not true about any person in here, we pray that you would bring someone to us. A new family would begin to attend Powell's Chapel and that they would then receive and hear that call from you and they would respond in obedience. And lastly, God, as we continue to search and pray, God, that um, in October we begin to just use the wisdom that you would give to us to go find someone uh, outside of this body, that you would prepare us and prepare them over these next few months, that you have the right person for us, and I pray that you'd give us wisdom to know who that would be, that they would know that they are the, we are the right place for them and their family. So lead us, guide us. Give us direction and wisdom and bring the right person to us. We pray this, God, with all of our hearts, minds, and souls. And now, God, we offer you our bodies as a living and holy sacrifice as we come into this time of hearing and receiving from your holy word. It's inspired by you. 
It's inerrant. It's infallible. And we pray that it would do what only it can do, as you tell us in Hebrews, that it is sharper than any two-edged sword that can divide the marrow and the bones, the flesh and the sin. We pray that you, through the Holy Spirit, would do that in our lives this morning. God, I pray if there's anyone here that does not know you as their Lord and Savior, that this morning be the morning that you would draw them to their, yourself and they would respond in obedience to that call. And for those of us, God, that do walk with you and know you, I pray that you would use this message to continue to bring about sanctification, the ongoing process to become more like you. So that one day we would sit in heaven and we would glorify you with all of our, all that we are. So we offer this time to you. Do what only you can do with it and use it in our lives. We pray this in the mighty name of Christ Jesus and all of God's people said, Amen. Here we are, we're wrapping up this 16 week long uh, sermon series through the letter of Colossians. If you haven't been with us, I'm going to give us a recap and then I'm going to come to these closing 12 verses. So the recap of the book is this. The first two chapters, Paul is writing to this young church, uh, probably 62 AD or so. And there's this gathering of believers that Paul uh, had with someone else gone and planted this church. And that young group of believers early on in their process of getting to know Jesus were uh, taken over by some false teachers. And what those false teachers began to do was to teach a gospel contrary to what Paul had shared with them and contrary to what they had come to believe to be true at the moment of their salvation. And so Paul catches word about this when he's in Roman house arrest. Uh, we'll see that who that person is that brings the word to Paul in this passage. You have seen and know who it is. He brings that word, hey, that small group of believers in Colossae has begun to wander away from their salvation and begin to allow other people to teach them things. What was being taught is it's Jesus plus something else that equals your salvation. So it's not Christ and Christ alone. That what was being told is, no, Christ is not supreme over all things, even your salvation. That there's other things that are supreme. And so Paul, when he starts this letter, he starts the first two chapters to talk about what the theologians call the Christology or the study of Christ. Who is Christ and what has he come to accomplish in our salvation? And then Paul in chapter 3 and 4 says, hey, if you really know this Christ and you believe that it's him and him alone that brings salvation, then things in your life have to look different. Like your life will look different when you give your life over to Christ and Christ alone. He says, first, it's going to change you. Right? He talks about the new creation in, at the very beginning of chapter 3. He says not only if it, does it change you, but once you're changed and you go back into your home and your home will change. Your relationship with your wife, your relationship with your husband, your relationship with your children, your relationship with those that you work with in your home will all change. He says not only will it change us, not only will it change our home lives, but he then says it will change how we interact with one another in the church, our church lives ought to be changed by the salvation or by the gospel that Christ has planted in us. And then lastly, we looked at um, two weeks ago when it does that, then it's going to change how we look and see and act with believers. And so Paul says, if it's Christ and Christ alone, all of your relationships will change and they'll look different. They ought to be different. And then last week. 
we looked at what Paul says. Of all the things, as we come into the final instruction of chapter 4, there's this one final instruction that Paul gives. Now, there's two instructions within the one instruction, if you remember we looked at last week. And he kind of stepped on our toes, because it's true for me, probably true for you. The two places in my ongoing walk with Christ that I really struggle with are prayer and evangelism. I struggle with prayer. I, I just, I'm not great at it. I wander in my prayer life. And so Paul is pleads with us to be on board with Christ as we pray and let Christ do something in our prayer life. And then he talks about how we are to walk with wisdom towards outsider, how we are to evangelize this dark, dark world. Now, the sad part is most people, when they're reading or studying or preaching the book of Colossians, they stop here. They, they don't go on to the next 12 verses because when you read it, it's just a list of names, like Jared said, that are very difficult to understand. They're very difficult to say out loud. And, and just by first looking at the text, these 12 verses, it's this, what does this matter to me? What does this have to do with me today in 2021? What does this passage have to do with the church? And so many people stop teaching, studying, and reading because they think they got it all from the previous three chapters and the little bit in chapter four. And so this morning, I know this to be true. If Paul wrote it inspired by God, it's just as applicable for us today as it was for those early Christians 2,000 years ago. And so my hope, my desire is to point out to us, the church, how come Paul would use these last 12 verses to talk about what he talks about? Why would Paul give this final greeting? If you look back in the text, he uses one verse to talk about husbands. He uses one verse to talk about wives. He uses one verse to talk about children. He uses one verse to talk about relationship with uh, our co-workers or masters and slaves, how we are to interact. So what does Paul use 12 verses to end the letter about these people? I believe it's this. In the church, there's this thing that's famous called the 80-20 principle. The 80-20 principle is this, that 20% of the people do 80% of the work. And Paul is going to address that principle. And the takeaway for all of us this morning from this text is this. It will take all of God's people to reach all of God's people and to reach the world. So we've got to look at, okay, if Paul is saying to us, it's going to take all the church to reach the church and to reach lost people, what does that mean for us? My prayer has always been, that we flip the 80-20 principle. That we went, it's going around right now. We're, we're looking for people to fill roles. My hope and desire is one day we don't have to do that any longer. That people are saying, hey, I want to do the work of God for the work of the church. We also not have to come find you. You ought to come find us. That's not to shame anyone. That's just to simply say this. If we're a church, we need everyone on board to do the work of God, to make sure the mission of God continues on. The mission of God is this for us. It's to know him and to make him known. And we need all of God's people to do that. If you are a Christ follower, you are the people of God. There ought to be no seats in the stadium that you are sitting in. You ought to be on the field 
engaged with what's going on on the field. This is not a spectator sport. We're not here to, to, to look and see and to be entertained. We're to be engaged with God, on mission with God, to accomplish his mission. Here's how we know God still has a mission for us. Because we are still alive today. When God's mission is, has been accomplished, all of us as believers will be called home to himself. So when God is finally done with his mission, his mission is so clear. It's to, to make sure that he is glorified and that people come to know him. The moment that last brick is in place of the mission of God, the believer will be called home. And so what do we do with that today? Paul's going to show us in this text. He lists. Now there's just this list of names. So all I'm going to do this morning is walk through. Hey, who are these people that God used to accomplish his mission with Paul to make sure that churches would continue to happen so much so that these people on this list are the reason that Powell's Chapel exists today. If I had the time and the energy and the effort and the brain power, we could literally trace our existence all the way back to the Apostle Paul. He was the first and greatest missionary. And we exist because of this letter written 2,000 years ago. Because these people that Paul talks about were on mission with God. So let's look through this list of people. And let's talk about at the end. This is a way of encouragement to us. So Paul is now writing. He's finally done with the instructions. So he finally says this in your Bibles. The final greeting. And this is who he writes to first. These are both men and women in the text. So this is not a male-dominated sports. This is not a male-only uh, mission. It is a male and female. We all, all of God's people have to be on mission with God. His name is Tychicus. That's who he is first. That's who he addresses first. So who is this man that Paul says, Tychicus will tell you all of my activities. He is a beloved brother, a faithful minister, a fellow servant in the Lord. And I have sent him to you for this very reason, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. So Paul is sending this man to this group of people. So this man must have been with Paul in house arrest. And Paul is sending this man to to these churches. What we know about this man was that he was Paul's Pony Express. What I mean by that is there's three letters, maybe four, that this man would deliver to the churches that Paul had planted. He would deliver a letter to the Ephesians, the Colossians, and to Philemon, and most possibly 2 Corinthians. So Paul would write these letters and then turn to his beloved servant and say, hey, I need you to take these letters because I can't because I'm chained to this person and I need you to be the Pony Express and to travel hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of miles to make sure that these letters get to the people of God. Which tells us one thing. This man was a dedicated man to both Paul and the work of God. He had a servant's heart. It wasn't like he put an envelope, put this letter in the envelope with a stamp and sent it via the mail. He was the mail. Not only that, was he the carrier of these beautiful letters. But it says this later on in his life, that he would go and he would fill in for Timothy when Timothy needed to go see Paul in prison. So Timothy was the pastor of Ephesus 
But this man would fill in when Timothy had to be gone, which meant he had to be a trusted man with the word of God. You don't just put anybody in this pulpit. You put trusted people that love God and love God's word. And so Paul is saying, this is a trusted man. He says this about this, about this person. He, he was trusted. He had a servant's heart. And he was going to be used by God and by the church to make sure that these letters were written so they would encourage the hearts of people. He had a servant's heart. We need the people of God to have servant's hearts. Do we have a servant's heart? The next one that Paul says, he writes about, his name is Onesimus. Onesimus we know way more about because of just one page over, the, the letter to Philemon. Onesimus was this slave. And, and Paul wrote a letter to Philemon, the slave owner, that said to him, hey, I want you to take Onesimus back. I know he's a slave. I know he's run away from you. We know he ran away because he stole from the master. We know that in the letter of Philemon. So here Paul says, hey, there's this slave that I want you to, to take back and to restore. And so somewhere between him running away from his master, he met Paul in Rome. Paul leads him to the Lord. And Paul says in his own words that this guy matters and that this guy has been really, really helpful for, to me. A slave, a runaway slave, a thief. But Paul would say to this man, Philemon, and to the church, hey, take him back because he matters and he's going to be useful for you, but more importantly, he's going to be useful to the gospel. That We ought to just stop there. Look who God uses. People we would never use. A slave, a runaway, a thief, a liar, a robber. And yet when the heart of a man is changed for the heart of God, God always uses those people. How often, church, do we decide based on what we know about the person if they can be used by God or not used by God? It's called being judgmental. But Paul is saying to us, don't judge this man for who he was and what he did, but judge him based on his heart for the gospel and his heart for me and his heart for you. He is a faithful man that God has done great things in his life. Restore him is what, if you have a chance, read uh, the book. One day I will preach on that small letter. It's, a, it's all about restoration. It, it's all about restoring people back into relationship. It's an amazing small, small letter. The next man that Paul mentions is in verse 10. Aristarchus is his name. It, Paul says this in verse 10, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. So who was Aristarchus? Aristarchus was another man. We know this in the book of Acts. The book of Acts is all about the Acts of the Apostles. Early on in the book of Acts, we see the conversion of Paul. And then Paul goes on these missionary journeys. And that's what the book, we'll know later who wrote that book. But that book is all about the, the Acts of the Apostles to make sure the gospel is taken to the corners of the world. He, the, the, the writer Luke starts off in, in Acts chapter 1. It says this, we've got to be witnesses all over the world in, in Acts chapter 1, 8. And so that's what it is. It's about the gospel, not just going to the Jews, but now to the Gentiles, now to the uttermost parts of the world. And this man was part of spreading the gospel with Paul on the journeys, taking the gospel 
to lost people and planting churches to make sure that the gospel message would continue on. We know in Acts chapter 19 that he was such a bold man that preached with such bold convictions. It says this in Acts 19, that because of his preaching and because of Paul's preaching, there was this confusion that rose up in the town. So much so that the confusion really angered the people in that town. And then Acts chapter 19, it says this, that those angry people became a mob and they sought the lives of these two men. They drug them out of the city because this was a faithful man. Not only do we, we need people that will take the gospel message, but we need men and women that have boldness with the gospel. Next, Paul says this. He says, so you welcome that man in. The next man that he mentions is Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, whom you have received instruction. If he comes to you, welcome him. Now, here's what we got to know about young Mark. Mark was the cousin of Barnabas. We see that in the text. Barnabas was a companion of or a contemporary of Paul. Early on in Paul's ministry, Paul and Barnabas would do everything together. Barnabas' name is the man of encouragement. He would encourage Paul in, in huge ways. And so early on in Paul's ministry, it was Paul and Barnabas and Mark and Silas. Those four men were taking the gospel as a team effort all over the lost world to make sure the gospel was known. But here's what we know in Acts chapter 13. We're not exactly sure what happened. So there's speculation about what happens in Acts chapter 13 with Mark. But something happened to Mark. And Mark got scared. And so much so that Mark decided, hey, I don't want to be on this journey with you three people anymore. And he abandons the call of his life. So much so that Paul says this to Barnabas. Paul, Barnabas later on comes to Paul and says, hey, I, I think Mark is, he's ready again. I think he's ready to go back on our journeys. And Paul says, no way, that's never going to, this, this is my version. This is not how the text exactly says it. If you want to know how the text says it, read Acts chapter 13, 14, and 15. But there's this moment that Barnabas comes back to Paul and says to Paul, I think Mark is ready. I think Mark has learned from his mistakes. And Paul says, no, I'm not going to entrust the gospel. I'm not going to entrust myself with Mark. So much so that Paul and Barnabas have this major split with the gospel. That, that Barnabas says to Paul, then I can't partner with you and I'll take the gospel another place. And from that moment on, Paul and Barnabas, they've never ministered again. But somewhere between Acts and this letter in Colossians, God had done a work in both Paul's heart, Mark's heart, and Barnabas' life. And now Paul says to this young church, hey, there's this guy that deserted me, but I've heard about his faith. I've heard about his courage. I've heard about his repentance and welcome him back. Again, church, it ought to be a way of encouragement to us. Maybe many of us are like Mark this morning. We're scared. We're timid. We don't want to do the gospel. And yet God, through Paul, says don't allow that to be what defines you. Continue to pursue God and God will use you. Maybe you are a Mark this morning, but God wants to use the Marks to bring the gospel to lost people. The next person that Paul addresses and tells the church to address is Jesus. Now, that's not Jesus of Nazareth. That's not 
the Jesus of the New Testament. His name was simply Jesus. That was a very common name uh, in the Greek. But we know this about this man. We know very little about this man other than this. We know he must have been a man of justice. So it meant this. He was a truth teller. We need the church to have men and women that will simply be men and women of justice and tell the truth at all costs. He doesn't stop with justice. He goes on to Epaphras. Epaphras is the very man that that would be with Paul. That whenever Paul would write or be inspired to write, many people believe this. And we know this throughout the New Testament, throughout other places of Paul's writing. Paul did not write the letter himself. There's oftentimes he wrote it himself, but he would dictate out loud what he was being inspired by the Holy Spirit to write. And this is the man many people believe that that wrote the very words that were coming from the, the Holy Spirit to Paul. He was writing them down. He was a very trusted man. Think about the trust you have to put into someone. That it's saying, hey, this is what the Holy Spirit is telling me. And I need you to take these very words and write them word for word. That has to be a very trusted man. Because he could have penned anything. But what he was doing was taking the words of Paul through the Holy Spirit and writing them down so that 2,000 years later, you and I could read these letters. He loved Paul. And Paul loved him. He was dedicated to Paul. He was always with Paul when Paul was in house arrest. This is what Paul would say about him himself. It says this, he is a beloved fellow servant. He says this, he's a faithful minister of Christ. And he is a servant of Christ. So he's a beloved fellow servant. He's a faithful minister of Christ. And he's a servant of God. Of all the people in the New Testament that Paul said these words about, there's only one other person that Paul said this about. That was his son in the faith, Timothy. Now think of all the people that Paul interacted with. Hundreds and hundreds of people. Think about the, the people around Paul. No other person other than Timothy, who he would say in his own words, that he loved him with his own heart as he would love a son. Would Paul write this about? He was a servant of Christ, a faithful minister, and a beloved fellow servant. We need the church to be full of people that are beloved fellow servants, faithful to minister to and of Christ and be a servant of Christ. Now Paul goes on to say this. The next person that he addresses and asks the church to address is in uh, verse uh, 14. He says, Luke, the beloved physician, greets you. Who was Luke? Luke, many believe, was Paul's primary doctor. Paul, uh, Luke was a physician. We see this. This is the only place. Many people know that Luke was a physician. You've heard that. This is the only place in the Bible that refers to Luke as the physician. So we know that Luke was a wise man, that Luke was a smart man, that Luke had a lot of training, that he, many believe this about Luke, that Luke was the first church historian or the first Christian historian. He's the one that wrote all about Christ. Here's what's true about Luke. More than any other New Testament writer, he wrote more words in the New Testament than any other writer. 
he wrote more words. He didn't write more uh, of the books, but he wrote more about the history of the church. He's the one that penned the, the, le- the Gospel of Luke and the letter to Acts. So you think about those two massive books of the New Testament. That was the physician. That was Luke. He loved Paul, and Paul loved him. So what we know the church needs, we need wise, educated people that that love God and that will then take what they know and how they know it and communicate it in simple ways to God's people. We need wise men and women to lead and be in the church. The next one is this, in verse 14, is Demas. We know two things about this man. One is so sad. So, so sad. The first one we know about him is that he would accompany Paul on many of his journeys. But here's the sad part that we know about Demas. Paul would later on say this about Demas. That at some point in his life and on these journeys, he would abandon both Paul and the gospel forever. That he would walk away from the faith. I I pray that there were no Demases in this church. And of all the people that Paul writes about, I pray that there's none of us that are Demases. That have gone on this journey, presented the gospel to people that have fallen in love with people, but somewhere along the lines, you've fallen out of love with God and are no longer on mission with God. You may still be in the pew, and that may be true of you. You don't have to desert us by walking out of this building. Your heart may not be here. And Paul is saying to us, may this not be true of us. Two more people, then I'll get to the close of the application for us. Nympha, she was a woman that loved God and that opened her house to the believers. Many people believe this. She, she was the place that the people in Ephesus would go and gather. We see that in the text where it says, read the letter to uh, the, the Laotians, or, or they believe that's where the church of Ephesus was. So here's what we know. She was a servant that loved to gather with God's people, and she was a risk taker. Here's how we know she was a risk taker. She opened her home to believers to come and worship. That would and could cost her her life. If we think, oh, they had a house church. That'd be like the underground church in China. People did not like the church. They did not like Christ. They did not like people gathering. They wanted to kill off the things of God. We know that through the Apostle Paul. That was Paul's whole mission before he got converted. So she was willing to take risks for the sake of the gospel. The last person is this. He was a man. I'll say his name this way. I don't know if this is how you're supposed to say it. I'm going to make it sound as Greek as possible. Uh, Archippus was his name. I believe that's how you say it. He would be described in Philemon verse 2, a fellow servant of God. He was a warrior, a soldier is what many people believe. But he was a soldier for God, and he would go on many journeys with Paul. And these are the people that Paul would say to us, Hey, you are here today because of people like this. You look at all the endings of the letters of Paul. Paul is always going to say, hey, I'm not a one-man show. This is the Apostle Paul speaking. The greatest missionary the world has ever seen. Wrote most of the New Testament in letters or books. And he is still saying, 
I cannot do the mission of God by myself. There's only one place in the New Testament that we see that Paul is alone. It's in Mars. Or it's in Mars Hill in Athens. And in Athens, in I believe it's chapter 13, that Paul goes into Athens by himself. And in being there, it's the only place that we see. But even there, he talks about, hey, let me tell you about this unknown God. And then he takes what he just said and goes back to the people. There's only one place in all the New Testament we see Paul alone. Which says to us, church, this will take all of God's people to reach all of God's people, the church. And then as one, we go into the lost world. But I just want you to look at all the people that God used. A slave, a robber, one that abandoned the faith. People that you and I would never, ever, ever associate with. Females. Like, the mystery of God and who God chooses is his mystery. But it will take all of us. All of us to minister to one another. Again, as I said at the beginning of this message, this is not a spectator sport. We need all of you. I, as the pastor, need everyone to be on mission with God to make sure the gospel continues forward, both in this church and then outside of this church. May there be a letter written about us. It may at the end of that list. That person that will write a letter about this church, put your name in it. Say, this is what Jerry did. This is what Patty did. This is what Sue did. This is what Jonathan did. This is what Miss Donna did. And on and on and on and on we go. May your name, may my name be written how I and then how we, the church, made sure the mission of God was accomplished. If this letter were to be written about this church, and at the very end of the letter, if it had your name beside it, what would be written about you today? And if what it would be written about you today, you have shame around and wish it would not be true, your letter can be rewritten. Let us be on mission with God to accomplish all that God has for us. It's to know him and to make him known. Let me pray for us.